let me share with you uh, uh, a, a practical uh, how this works in daily life. And I'll use me again, okay? Uh, before Hope and I separated, my most favorite thing in the world probably was University of Tennessee football. Oh man, I just loved it. I grew up on it. My brother went to the University of Tennessee. He wasn't on the football team, but we'd go up to visit and go to games together and uh, have so much fun and it was exciting. So I watched all the games on TV. I read about them during the week, listened to talk shows, whatever. And anyway, Hope grew to just hate with a passion University of Tennessee football because I was so obsessed with it. And, and by the way, if they lost, I'd be in a bad mood for most of the next week probably until the next game. So it was terrible. I, I, it amazes me that I was that obsessed, but, but I was, okay? And if Hope came into a room and a game was on or they were talking about a game or something, man, she, her, she would screw up her face and turn that off. I hate that. I hate it. Okay, she'd say something like that. Um, and I'd usually turn it off and go to another room. I'm sorry, it's the truth. I'm ashamed of that now, but it's the truth. A anyway, um, after we're back together, we're, uh, can't keep our hands off each other, we're so poor. I mean, we would literally put our change together at the end of the week to see how many pinto beans and how much peanut butter we could buy for the next week, literally. We qualified for welfare, but we didn't take it. But we were so happy. I mean, none of that mattered at all. It was just wonderful. And um, probably about six months after we were back together, Hope said to me, um, Alex, I need to talk to you. <laughs> Which is exactly what she said when she kicked me out of the house. So, you know, I had a couple of bells go off, but I, I, I could tell this was different. I could tell this was something good. Although it did, it did have some similarities. She, she was having a hard time looking me in the eye. She was fidgety, you know. But um, here's what she said. Alex, is there a University of Tennessee football game on this weekend? And now I really do have bells going off. Be careful how you answer this question. I thought, okay, this is a test or something, you know. And so I said, um, um, I think so. Why do you ask? And she said, I want to go. And I immediately said, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Thank you so much. That means the world to me, but I don't need that anymore. And she said, yeah, I know, but I, I want to go. And again, I said, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm not even going to start down that road again. Um, I'm so happy now, happier than I've ever been in my life. I don't need that. And she grabbed me by the shoulders and she said, Alex, look in my eyes. I love you so much. I want to go. And we went. 
and we had a ball. She knows absolutely nothing about football, but she was standing up on her seat and yelling, go, go, get him, get him, stop him. Oh, that was a terrible call. Uh, wrong about everything, but uh, we had such a great time. Um, she would hug me and kiss me when they scored, and uh, it, was, it was really special. Um, but she had not tried to change that, had no idea how it had changed, okay? Um, probably three or four weeks after we were back together, uh, Hope had started a house cleaning business, and I was cleaning with her a lot of the time, but she was in charge. She's a detail person, and I'm like, what details? So I was not a great cleaner. She really had to teach me, but... Anyway, we go into this house, and she gives me a bucket of cleaning stuff, and she takes a bucket of cleaning stuff, and she says, okay, Alex, I'm going to go over here and do something. I don't remember. Um, dusting, emptying the dishwasher, I don't know. She said, you go down that way and start cleaning the toilets. And um, I didn't think a thing about it at the time, you know. Uh, looking back, I wonder if it was a test. She said it wasn't, and I believe her. But anyway, it was an um, interesting coincidence. So anyway, I go down that way to do what she's told me to do. Let me get a drink of water here. <clears throat> well, a few minutes later, Hope is at the other end of the house doing whatever she was doing, and she hears something that concerns her. She hears me happily, joyfully, loudly singing. Okay? Now, what I hadn't told you is that before Hope and I were separated, my most hated thing to do in the world was clean the toilet. I mean, that is just disgusting and horrible, and nobody should have to do it, but especially not me. And I would do anything to get out of cleaning a toilet, okay? Just disgusted me, okay? So Hope, of course, knows that, and she sent me to clean the toilets, but hears me joyfully singing. So she starts coming down that hallway because she's 99% sure I'm goofing off which means it's going to take us longer to clean the house and, you know, go on to the next thing, all right? She didn't want to waste time. So she comes down that hallway, stops in the doorway to the bathroom and looks down and sees me on my knees cleaning the toilet, singing joyfully at the top of my voice. The reason she could hear it at the other end of the house is it was reverberating out of the porcelain bowl. <laughs> but anyway, she stops, sees that, and says, Oh, you're cleaning the toilet. She couldn't believe it. She knew how I felt about cleaning toilets. So, the thing I hate most, after we get back together, is gone, and I never one time thought, oh, I'm not going to clean the toilet. I hate to clean toilets. I wasn't disgusted. I was, I was happy. I was almost euphoric 
cleaning that toilet. Love had changed a have to into a want to. And for Hope, hating anything related to Tennessee football was transformed from a have to and a hatred into a want to and a joy again by love. And I believe love is the only thing, for the most part, that can do that. And it will transform your have-tos, whatever they are, into want-tos, being able to do in joy, in peace, um, happy, not unhappy, etc. Very, very, very powerful. So, how do you get from living here and living by business deal love, prioritizing your physical and external circumstances, thinking that those are going to purchase for you the internal self-worth, love, joy, peace, etc. How do you get from there and being tricked by that because it's a virtual blueprint for failure, living that way and having those goals? How do you get from that to this. Well, remember the three-step blueprint. Decide what you want. Develop a plan to get it. Change it as needed. Put the plan into action with your willpower until you get it. Never giving up. Okay? And that the killers are trying to do it through your own willpower and expectation. You can't do it through willpower because this mechanism in your unconscious mind is more than a million times more powerful than your conscious intention or willpower. So that's why it's even worse than betting your health or whatever on one spin of the roulette wheel. It's a million to one that you're going to be able to do that because you're working against how the spiritual laws of nature work. So you're trying to jump off the building without gravity causing you to get a broken arm. Only you're doing it in the spiritual realm with the spiritual principles. You're violating those spiritual principles. What are they? Primarily, business deal love and selfishness as opposed to real love. Okay? So, to switch, you have to switch your goals. You have to switch your intention. You have to switch what you're going for. And now what you're going for is the internal state of love, joy, and peace and living in the present moment as best you can. You'll never do it right. I make more mistakes than anybody I know, although I do it better and better as time goes on. But as best you can, regardless of the circumstances, and regardless of whether you're getting the end results that you most desire from your Seek Pleasure Avoid Pain programming. In other words, you give up the end result to God, to love, and 
That is not mine anymore. That end result I'm giving up. Yes, I still desire it. The difference is when I desire something, I realize it may not even be what's best for me. Okay? Uh, as I've traveled around the world, I've asked people, um, not all the time, but a good, a good many times, have you ever had something that at the time you thought was bad, but then later looking back, you realize was actually good and the best thing to happen? I've never asked that question where everybody didn't raise their hand. Oh, yeah. Most people say, oh, I have a bunch of those. Some people say, I have those all the time. What does that mean? It means you don't necessarily know what the best end result is for you. Okay? And you will only be sure to get there on the path of real love rooted in the inward state and the present moment. That's, and that way, you're guaranteed to get to that. But it may or may not look like when you get there what your definition of success would be now. But, but it will, when, it, when you do get there, you'll know this is it. This is perfect. for This is right. I never would have thought this, but wow, this is perfect for me. Okay? And I've never seen an exception to that. Okay? So, you have to give up the end result. Your focus is doing whatever you're doing, even if it's walking toward that end result in truth and love as best you can. Okay? And then, if halfway there, you say, oh, that's not the end result I think I'm supposed to be going toward anymore. Fine. You, you change. But you do not take ownership of the end results until you're there. And preferably there from the love path, which means it's the right end result. If you take ownership in expectation, that's what spikes your stress and causes the failure response. Okay? So... Um, the first part of being able to do this in your life, remember, I explained it to my clients and not one of them could do it. And that's what the spiritual laws are for, is to enable anyone in any situation to do it. But in the greatest principle, as we kick this off in these two or three segments, in general, that's where you start. You have a different goal that is always related to the inward state and the present moment in love. You are walking toward a result that you think is best for you or what you should be doing, but every day you give it up to God, to higher power, to love, because I may not even know what's best. What I find most is people shoot too low, not too high. When they get there on the love path, it's way better than they thought it would be, okay? And then, that's your intention. That's your goal. And then every day when you wake up, you take little bitty baby steps in that direction. Okay? Now, the trick here is that your unconscious mind knows whether you are fully committed to living in the present, in the inward state, in love, 
or not. Your unconscious knows. You can't fool it. All right? So if you say, yes, I'm committed to living in the present moment in love as best I can, giving up my end result goal to God, higher power, love, so that I get the best end result for me and my situation, you can say that all day long. But if you're not committed, your unconscious knows it, and it's going to keep you in the failure response, which means you're not going to be able to do it because you're not committed. Remember I told you when I got on my knees, I didn't just say it, I meant it to the marrow of my bone. So every day I would be asking, meditating, praying, please, I'm not to the place where I can fully commit to love yet, giving up that end result. And that's, that's what's hard for people is giving up the end result, truly giving it up. I'm not there yet, but I want to get there. Please help me get there, okay? And so you take another little baby step. What most people try to do originally at first is kind of like a swimming pool, okay? Have you ever seen someone come up to a swimming pool? I bet you've done this. I've done it a bunch of times. And, you know, I'm not thrilled about jumping all in to a really cold pool, so I'll come up and sort of stick my toe in, you know. And then if that's okay, maybe I'll get in up to my ankles and then up to my calves and then up to my knees. And then, I, and then at a certain point, I go the rest of the way. That's the way most people, that's the way my clients, when I explained it to them, tried to do having the goal of love in the inward state and in the present moment as best they could, giving up the end result. They would, they, would say, okay, they would say they were committed, but they really weren't. What they really did was, let me test the waters. I'll try it for a few weeks. I'll try it for a few months. If it works, wonderful. I'm all in. If it doesn't work, well, I'm not going to keep doing something that doesn't work. I'll go back to focusing on what I want, how to get it, and, and getting it with my willpower. Okay, because I'm not just going to give up on the end results of my life. So if this love thing gets me the end results better, I'll do it. If it doesn't, then I'm going back and I'll do it myself. That's what almost every single one of my clients did, whether they said that or not. Sometimes they would say they were committing, but they weren't. Because it's just so hard for our seek pleasure to avoid pain, mind, and programming to give up the end result because the end result might mean pain or less pleasure and often does. Okay, so to me, that's how you start is understanding the principles, making a decision, yes, I want to live my life that way um, for the rest of my life. And I, I don't believe I can do it yet, but I'm going to keep taking steps. And, and uh, heart, mind, unconscious, please help me get to where I can do that and commit to that. Okay? Your, your unconscious mind's number one mandate, number one job, is to keep you physically alive. 
okay? Not so much the mental, emotional, or spiritual. Physically alive. It's tied to your survival instinct, okay? So the unconscious doesn't care so much if it underreacts. If it under, I'm sorry, that's wrong. Your unconscious doesn't care so much if it overreacts. If it overreacts, you're still alive. In other words, if it puts you into fight or flight and there's no imminent danger, that's okay. You're still alive. There, there was a chance there would be danger there, okay? It's fine with that because that doesn't violate its prime mandate, but it will not underreact because if it underreacts, does not kick you into fight or flight, and the danger is there or does come up, you might be dead, which violates its prime mandate. The only exception to that mandate in the unconscious mind, and this is what I believe is one of the key things I've discovered in over 30 years, all right? The unconscious mind will not violate that prime mandate if in doubt it kicks you here. And according to recent research from all kinds of, of reputable universities and sources, last one I saw was from Scientific American, it malfunctions all the time because you're full of lies and errors that are almost all with a fear-based signature. Okay? So we have devolved in our memories and our beliefs and thoughts and feelings instead of evolved. Okay? I now have the fears of generations hundreds if not thousands of years back in my lineage and ancestry. And some of those things don't even apply to me at all, like being scared of a dinosaur or being scared we're not going to be able to find a medical doctor out on the prairie or you know, getting the flu and dying, or those were past generations, but I've still got a lot of those fears in me, even though I don't know it. They're in that unconscious part of me that can keep me here virtually all the time. The one exception the unconscious mind will make to violating the prime mandate although it's really not a violation. I'll explain that in a second. Is if you choose, like I did that night in my parents' backyard, if you choose from the marrow of your bone, from the bottom of your heart, I am choosing real love as best I can in the present moment, I'm going to emphasize as my goal the inward state, not physical or external circumstances. And I'm doing it for the rest of my life. No safety net, no plan B, no turning back, regardless of the circumstances, forever. If you ever get to a place where you truly commit to that, your unconscious mind releases the safety features. That's what I call it. It releases you from this position. Why? Because the only thing more important than death 
in this life is love. So if you ever do that, really, the real kind, forever, no matter what, if you ever do that, it's like the controller, the manager of your unconscious mind, which controls almost all bodily functions, positive or negative emotions, which state you're in, everything. It's like the manager of your mind says, Attention, everybody! Alex just got it! Release the safety features. Let him fly. And I switch immediately to here. And all of this starts happening automatically. And I start experiencing love, joy, and peace internally. Love in the present moment, even though I make a lot of mistakes. And find myself realizing my absolute best end results that I could ever imagine because I can feel they're right for me, best for me, and the contentment, fulfillment, meaning, purpose, love, joy, peace that go along with that once I get there. Until you get there, keep taking the little baby steps Talk to your unconscious mind. Talk to your heart. Talk to God. Say, I want to get to where I can fully commit. I know I'm not there yet. Please let me take another little baby step. And then I have seven principles for you to pray and meditate over that seem to help to get you to that place where you can commit to the number one goal of real love. Okay? Now, you can uh, really, the first statement is all you need to be concerned about. The rest of this just sort of explains the first statement. So you can pray and meditate over all this, but if you're using these statements in your prayer and meditation as you take those baby steps to try to get to that place where you can fully commit, um, once you understand what this first statement means, you really don't need all of this. Just use the simple first statement, okay? And we'll try to get these posted um, where you can print them off, download them, whatever. Okay, first one. No matter what pain you're struggling with, it's not your fault. This is uh, the hardest one for people to accept in my experience, okay? Because they think, well, wait a minute. I remember doing that wrong thing, that sin, that mistake, whatever they call it. I remember doing it, okay? How can it not be my fault, all right? Well, it's not your fault because you were in this state, which means your mind automatically sends you negative thoughts, negative feelings, and negative actions for you to do. All right? National Geographic had a special edition that 
uh, it was called the Owner's Manual for the Brain, and the main study in it, what they found was one second before any significant decision, there's an electrical spike in the brain, and that electrical spike is your unconscious mind mandating what that decision will be. Okay, so it really wasn't me doing it. My unconscious mandated me to do that in a lot of the cases, and I'm going to say all the cases. But when you're living here, boy, it sure seems like it's almost impossible to do what you want to do and not do what you don't want to do. Okay, so it's not your fault. And I'll be explaining that more in other, in other spiritual laws. Number two, the internal always creates the external, never the other way around. My good friend, Professor William Tiller, said the unseen is always the parent of the seen. The seen is never the parent of the unseen in physics. And it works that way in health, too. Um, if you get cancer, there's a time we could go back, six months, a year, whatever, and if they gave you the same test, they would say, you don't have any cancer. I don't know why we're doing this test. But today, you have cancer. Where did it come from? It didn't come from any place seen, because we, we tested everything seen six months ago. You're right. It came from someplace unseen. It came from the heart. It came from the unconscious mind, typically. A fear-based choice and way you're living your life that maybe was passed down from generations before you. So the internal is always where the source is. Number three, what you really want most is not an external circumstance. It's the internal state of love, joy, and peace in your heart and mind in the present moment. Number four, what's in it for me, love, often looks like love on the outside, and you would even say it's love, like with me and hope, but it's really an attempt to use unhealthy control or convince another person to help you get the external circumstances that you want and think will make you happy. And it is a lie. The only thing makes you happy is the internal state of love, joy, and peace. And the external cannot purchase the internal. The internal can and does purchase the external. Number five, your willpower fueled by fear and faulty programming is an insufficient power source for life and success. It's a one in a million shot if you're living in the failure mode. Okay, You just can't do it. Number six, the internal state of love, joy, and peace is a miraculous power source for life and success that virtually always works. And number seven, living in love for the next 30 minutes as best you can. I started saying that because I would tell people live in love in the present moment and it would be overwhelming. And so then I started saying, okay, just try 30 minutes. Do live in love for the next 30 minutes and that worked way better to be honest sometimes i have to do one minute okay so living in love for the next however many minutes as best you can giving up external and physical results and circumstances will produce every time success and happiness beyond your wildest dreams no matter what and you will no longer be malfunctioning you will be working like this.
effortlessly. So, in my experience, you know, deep in your heart, when you get to that place where you can fully commit forever, okay? So if you don't know you're there, you're probably not. And keep taking the little baby steps, praying, meditating, having a relationship with God, your heart, uh, your unconscious mind, asking for help to get there, etc., and, and keep using and those uh, truth-focused statements I just shared, the seven statements. Um, use those if they help. If one of them helps, just use one. Do whatever. But keep taking the little baby steps. It's okay if it takes you a year to get there. It's okay if it takes you three months to get there. All right? You've taken generations to get to where you are now. Once you do get there, that will have been the best spent time of your life and you will never go back. And you will live your very best life, which will be of enormous benefit to everyone that you are around, love, care about. You will be a world changer. Even if it never gets in the news or in a magazine, you will be a world changer. Okay? Uh, remember I used to say, if I could get, if I was working with a couple and if I could get one of them to do this, I would get both of them. And that's what happened with me and Hope. Okay? Uh, real love is the most powerful force there is. And it is virtually irresistible. You can't you can't, you have no defense against real love. It will start to change you. All right, that is, for the most part, what I call the greatest principle in the world that almost nobody knows. Now we will be starting with other spiritual principles, other laws of spiritual nature, until we have... Um, I've given you all of the ones for anyone and any possible situation. And again, usually 5 to 12 apply to any one person and is what they need to transform in their life. But it all comes back to making this commitment, this decision um, of your own free will, and then the success mechanisms kick in and start enabling you to do, feel, think, achieve what you've never been able to do before. Um, let me end with this. The Harvard Grant study is the largest study ever done on the human condition. 75 years, over $20 million. The end of the result, uh, the, the result of the study by the caretaker of that study at Harvard Dr. James Valiant, George Valiant, George Valiant, is this, direct quote, his words, not mine, happiness equals love, full stop. Happiness equals love, full stop. End of discussion. Don't need to talk about anything else. Happiness equals love. But ladies and gentlemen, it has to be real love. And for me and most of the people that I have known and worked with, it was not real love. It was business deal love. 
that they were calling real love, which is really a form of selfishness. So I hope this makes sense. We will be clarifying more and more as we add new laws and new pieces. And over time, you should hear or see the ones that fit you and your life. And I'll also be explaining in each principle, you know, these are kind of the situations that I see this applying. And you can see if that applies to you or not. So thank you so very much. Have a wonderful, blessed day. And join me for the next Spiritual Law of Nature.